What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition episode of Field Stormers. As always, I'm your host, Mo Murphy, and with me, I got my co-host, Walker Bailey. Man, this this is going to be a little tough one opening up because we have to recap what happened during rivalry week, and obviously the game happened and didn't go in my favor. Y'all know I'm an Ohio State fan, but before we get into that, Walker, what's going on, bro? Uh, Not much. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, rivalry week went shitty for both of us, man, like, we had people throwing chairs on the field and stuff here last week. So, um, you know, just bad week all around. At least I still have a football coach. So, got that going for me. But uh, another big week. Um, hopefully, TCU can finish the job and remain undefeated and just get into this playoff thing. And then we'll see what happens from there. But uh, other than that, not a whole lot. Uh, if you follow my betting stuff, Big weekend for those people. Uh, we've got Ohio 25 to 1 in the MAC championship game on Saturday morning. Uh, so, going to be a really sweaty morning for anybody who bet that with me. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is, uh, yeah, it was tough. Um, so, we'll just get right into it. So, we'll, we'll recap rivalry weekend. We'll start with the Egg Bowl. Obviously, Walker, you are a Ole Miss fan, and it didn't go the way you want. Um, I know a lot of people. Like, I know a few people from Mississippi and stuff like that, and they typically say that's how the Egg Bowl goes. A lot of times, the better team doesn't end up winning that game. Um, there's outliers to that statement, but, you know, as you go back, there there are plenty, there are enough occasions in the Egg Bowl in its occurrence to be like, okay, if Ole Miss is the better team, sometimes they lose when they shouldn't, and vice versa with Mississippi State the few times that they have been better than Ole Miss. Um, so just what was your biggest takeaway from that game? <laughs> Uh, just that, I mean, I felt like the team was distracted. Like, I know that Lane said he met with the team a couple nights before and told him he wasn't leaving. But, I mean, I don't really think that he even knew he wasn't leaving until, like, late Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday night. Um, and so I, I just think there was a lot of uncertainty. And when you do that and then you factor in uh, the weather and then you factor in the opponent, it just wasn't a super sharp performance. It wasn't a well-coached football game. It wasn't a well-played football game. Um And, you know, Mississippi State, this is always going to be the biggest game of their season. Like, I mean, this is always going to be the one that they absolutely feel like they have to have. It's what determines success and failure down there. Um, And they got it this year. I mean, they deserved it. They played really well. Their defensive line, eight. I mean, just eight from start to finish. Um, Judkins and Evans really didn't get anything going. Uh, Ole Miss turned the ball over some. So, I mean, there were just little plays that Ole Miss didn't make that Mississippi State did make that kind of turned the game on its head. So, uh, really disappointing finish this season for Ole Miss. You know, you start seven and zero, eight, uh, eight and one. Take the shot at Bama and really have them on their heels for almost the entire game, uh, and lose four of your last five uh, to finish eight and four. I mean, just a total slide. Just feels like you lost, really missed an opportunity there to make some noise. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Moving yeah. On. Yeah, 100%. And listen, I'm on the same side of is it it is what it is. Um, you know, I watched the Egg Bowl. It was more entertaining honestly than that Thursday night football game on Thanksgiving. So, I watched the Egg Bowl. I typically watch it um every year for the simple fact like, you know, Dallas typically plays during the day on Thanksgiving Day, so I never really have to coincide and unless it's like a premier matchup, which some years we do, some years we don't on Thanksgiving night get a premier matchup uh Thursday night on the NFL. So, I was able to watch the Egg Bowl. Uh, good, entertaining game. It did seem like Ole Miss didn't really come to play. But, you know, I was just an onlooker just watching the game uh, for basically just pure enjoyment of loving the college football sport. Then we moved to Friday. 
Friday was a pretty good day. To, to be honest, there were some good games on Friday. Um, one that intrigued me was Texas versus Baylor. Uh, Texas, I feel like, went went out strong in, in a sense. Like, you you know, you weren't going to the playoffs. You, you had an opportunity. I think you had to win this game and then wait for Saturday to see if you were going to play. Uh, you needed Kansas State to lose, so you had to wait for Saturday. But you knew going into this game, like, Texas was playing for something. They were playing Baylor to go you know, uh, to the Big 12 championship for an, uh, to keep their opportunity alive to play in the Big 12 championship. And I feel like they delivered. B. John Robinson had a hell of a game. I mean, he essentially put the team on his back. The one thing that concerned me in that game was the fact that Quinn Ewers, I almost feel like he never came back healthy because since he's come back from that shoulder injury, he's he, he has not got back to form of what we thought we were about to see for the rest of the season uh, uh, when he started playing against Bama. So prior to him getting hurt against Bama, um, we just never seen that same quarterback that we thought we were about to see for the rest of the season. And so part of me just thinks he was never fully healthy. Uh, maybe Sark isn't the guy for the job. I- I'm not ready to call for his job yet. I, I don't know if Texas exceeded expectations. They're going to finish the season ranked. Little Rocky Road. It's tough to really be out on Sark when he was without his starting quarterback um, for a couple games, essentially, and had to have a freshman start. I get it. It was a premier freshman, but at the end of the day, like you go into the season game planning and you have things you prep and everything is with who your starters are after camp. So, you know, kind of losing that throws a little bit of things off. You might not have got the same looks on your backup quarterback as you maybe either should have or thought you would have for the simple fact you bank on this season kind of banked on Quinn Ewers being your starting quarterback all year, even though I know there was some pushback going into the season about that. Um, so what, was there any other game that caught your eye Friday night or Friday, Friday night? I got a good, I caught a good, a good bit of Missouri, Arkansas, just because, you know, I was, I went to school from at Missouri for a year. So like there was a little bit of personal just in that for me, but, um, yeah, so I caught a little bit of that. Um, that ended really tight. I think, uh, I think Missouri won like by like one point, I think like 29, 28, 31, 28, something like that. It was really tight. Um, I guess no. The Apple Cup was uh, Saturday night, uh, but that was one that I caught a ton of uh, this weekend. Where I just like I watched that from start to finish. Like that whole first half was just nuts. I think I even texted the group chat and was like, "Dude, the Apple Cup was absolutely nuts!" Like because yeah. it was like twenty. I think it was like twenty eight, twenty seven at halftime, and I was just like, "This is just absolutely out of control." I love it. Um, so I I watched a lot of that. Um, you know, I caught most of. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan. On uh, we're not there yet. We're not there I, yet. I'm, just, I'm not. No, no, no. We're not going. There. We're not going there. I'm just kind of like. Uh, but I did catch it. Um, yeah, I was. You know, I I was under the weather for most of it, uh, most of that weekend. So I was kind of in and out of like being asleep and being awake and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I caught a good bit of it, um, or a good bit of like a variety of different games. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great weekend. Uh, not for me, but for somebody, I'm sure. It was like, I mean, the the football was quality. Yeah, it was great football. Um, before we get into the game, uh, probably the game of the weekend, if you want me to be honest, happened took place on Friday night. Florida, Florida State. Oh, like, I did catch a good bit of that game, too. I, yeah, I, forgot, I did catch a good bit of that game. They put on a show. Whatever the expectation was going into the game, I thought it was funny because this was one of the premier rivalries in college sports, right? Like Florida, Florida State is I'm not saying it's as intensified, but it's in the same 
vicinity as Michigan, Ohio State, as Alabama, Auburn. I think those two are a level above, but there's still so much history and so many. Everybody's talked about like there was a streak where the winner of that game was playing for the national championship. So to say like the history of that rivalry, um, and that was even of recent, like of our lifetime of like, I think 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago or whatever it was, the team, but there was a streak in the early to mid 2000s where the team went on to play for the national championship. So um, it kind of tells a lot about the rivalry. And then I just thought it was funny that like, damn, they've been irrelevant. Both teams have been irrelevant long enough that we moved this rivalry to a Friday night. Like essentially like Florida, Florida State was the first time they've ever played, whether they were trying something new to see what the viewership would be on this rivalry and kind of renew it without both teams being, they they were good. Like Florida was decent. Florida State was pretty good um, this year. So maybe they were trying something different and this could be, you know, from here on out, like that'll be the premier game on Friday night that we get to see kind of like the Egg Bowls, the standalone game essentially on Thanksgiving night. Like maybe Florida, Florida State is the game to hype up every year on Black Friday. But if this is the beginning to a new era of this rivalry and it will be a Black Friday thing, then I'll say the first game of the Black Friday matchup between Florida and Florida State didn't disappoint. It gave us everything we wanted. Florida State was up 38-24. Florida comes back. Travis Hunter put on a show. Um, Anthony Richardson made some plays. They're running. Uh, Florida State's running back put on a show. Like high-octane, high edgy seat for the whole game. So, if this is the beginning of the new era on a Black Friday matchup between Florida and Florida State, then I'll say going into next year, I'll have high expectations for the game just because, I mean, it was as high-powered as you could get. It was the best game when you talk about from start to finish, I think, of the weekend. So, Dude, some of the stuff Jordan Travis did in that game was legitimately, like, mind-numbing. I it was ridiculous. It, it yeah. was ridiculous. He put on a show. Like, he, he yeah. put on a show. He was the player of that game. You know, uh, he's the MVP of the season for Florida State. He's going to be the early, like, next season, and he won't win it, but he's going to be the early, like, everybody's going to pick him to win the Heisman next year guy. Like, that's yeah, going to be. especially since Caleb Williams is expected to win it this year. Right, yeah. You're going to find that next guy because you know how hard it is to win back-to-back. I mean, just like you saw it with Bryce Young, right? And then, like, it's like, oh, this is C.J. Stroud's Heisman going into this year because you're like, Bryce Young's probably not going to win back-to-back. There's some good enough players, you know, people were reaching in like Anthony Richardson will be the guy. Like if I'm not going to pick Stroud, I'm going to pick, I'm going to find some guy that if I'm, if I'm right, then I look like a genius. And it was Anthony Richardson who I, I like his progression um, throughout the season. I do think he improved week by week, had some slumps, but still he's a young guy. Like he's a young cat. What he's, he's draft eligible, but this was like his first full year as a starter. So, I mean, I, I like the occasionally, the decisions he makes occasionally are so, incredibly bad like he made like the interception he threw I was watching like that's I was watching live at that point when he threw that pick and I was just like like where were you throwing it like what were you doing like what did you see and like they showed like three different angles and I was like I was like he just threw it to throw it like he just threw it out there and hoped somebody was gonna catch it or that it would hit the ground and like the cat slid in and made the interception I was just like oof um, I could see why scouts would fall in love with him, though, because he hasn't been a starter so, long yeah, enough, he so have, and he doesn't have enough. He hasn't started long enough to create enough bad habits that you have to rehabilitate him as a quarterback and teach yeah. him old. Get off the old habits and get in new ones. You could just, hey, I see the tools in this guy, and I can, you know, I can make him into what I want to be. Especially if you're a coach who takes pride 
in, you know, building up quarterbacks. So I could see where the falling in love with Anthony Richardson is. I think wherever he goes, maybe the team he gets drafted to could be a little upset um, on draft night because that's when everybody is, they, they know the game and they go back and that's when they watch tape because they'd be like, man, I haven't seen enough of this dude. And then they'll be like, oh, no, they'll go watch his worst game and not look at his best game and be like, I can't believe we drafted him and not seeing upside. Like, to, like, as a, as a, like a, from an NFL draft perspective, you just have to like, draft that body and those tools and figure it out find a way like yeah and you gotta know you're the team that can do it like essentially confident um everybody has their flaws so we move on to saturday i wake up in the morning i go work out uh it's great morning right didn't start drinking yet you know uh listening to music while i'm taking a shower after a workout like i'm envisioning the morning i'm i'm hype i'm getting my kids hype putting on my buckeyes jersey and things started off good Things started off good. Kickoff happens. Ohio State gets the ball first. They score. They hold Michigan to a field goal of seven to three. Um, things are looking good. We 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 march it back down. End up with a field goal. Okay, cool. We're still good because hey, they score a touchdown. All they could do is tie. It's ten to ten. Um, things started looking a little shaky, but going into halftime, like you're looking at, you know, the way Ohio State's playing, you're like. We could play better, go back to how we started the game. We're still up. You can get on Ohio State all you want, but like we're still up. We've given big plays. We'll make adjustments. Well, here's the thing. Going into that game, they announced to the world what their game plan was, and it was stop the run. They put eight in the box, blitz, blitz, blitz. We're going to make J.J. McCarthy beat us. And essentially, in the first half, he was beating you more than you would have liked being the defensive coordinator, here's where Ohio State messed up. Coming out in the second half, first off, not striking right away. You let them score. It's still, it's 24-20. Everything's cool. Like, it's 24-20. The, the home crowd's still in it. You didn't strike back. Whether it was a field, you could have kicked a field goal, a touchdown, whatever, but show some life in the offense. And then your adjustment defensively was you panicked. Instead of playing four quarters, you panicked after two and you said, oh, damn, J.J. McCarthy going to beat us. So now we got to we got to stop. We got to play the pass. That's what Michigan wanted you to do. Jim Harbaugh is a really good coach. You don't think he knew that Ohio State was going to dare J.J. McCarthy to beat him. And so he knew, like, if we can light him up enough, maybe they panic. Jim Knowles is a great defensive coordinator. Some people, you know, Ohio State fans panicked after the game. I get it. Um, but it doesn't take away from how you turned around a bad defense with the same personnel. So you made JJ, you're like, okay, now we got to take away JJ McCarthy when I think he's the type of guy where if you would have let him keep throwing the ball for four quarters, he was bound to make a mistake. There was no evidence all season long that JJ McCarthy was going to beat you. The later it gets, the more intense the throws get. And the more likely he is to make a mistake. And so what Ohio State comes out and does is say, we're going to take away the pass. And that's exactly what Michigan wanted you to do. And Donovan Edwards lights them up for seven minutes. Five plays is the difference between Ohio State winning, really winning and losing. Like you, we, people could say Michigan dominated Ohio State, but I think like, and I know in hindsight, you can't do this, but take away those five plays. Ohio State essentially beat Michigan. But when you're giving up big plays like that, 70-yard touchdown, 55-yard throw, 60-yard uh, reception for a touchdown, a 50-plus-yard touchdown for run by Donovan Edwards, 
then that's the difference is their adjustment was okay. We're not going to let JJ McCarthy beat us. And it opened up the, uh, it opened up the offense and Donovan Edwards was able to take while we had him in check the first half, he went crazy in the second half, basically for four, four drives in the fourth quarter, their offense was absolutely nuts. And our offense had no answers, which is where everybody gets on Ryan day. And I understand that they're out on Stroud. I get it from your end. What was like, like, am I crazy for saying that like five plays, which isn't a lot of plays in football, but five plays, it was the difference between Ohio State winning and losing. But those five plays all ended up in 50 plus yard touchdowns, which is a problem, should be a cause for concern. But it's also like you could simply you could have you could make simple adjustments if for some odd reason Ohio State was able to match up against Michigan again. It'd be you watch those plays and it'd be simple adjustments because one of them goes for a touchdown off a missed tackle, missed tackle on a bad angle. You can fix that the next play. Like if you tackle him down, now you make them go for a drive. So I don't think it was as far off as the score says, because if you watch it, like it's it, it was a difference of five plays. What was your takeaway from that game? I just like I was it was just Ohio State was shocking in terms of just how bad they were in coverage. Like now, granted, I'll say this, like Michigan deserves a lot of credit because like they yes. were really creative. Like, yeah. you know, like they I think like they caught a glimpse of Titans Packers and then ran that like, you know, ran that jump pass with the running back where, you know, if that running back makes a better throw then that tight end is probably in the end zone as opposed to catching it for like eight yards and falling down. Mm-hmm. Um, but the coverage was just shocking. Like, I mean, you know, McCarthy would wind up to throw and you'd be like, all right, he's going for it. And like they would pan the camera and like it would just be a bunch of grass and then there would just be like a white jersey standing down there by himself. And so like I get like the frustration with like adjusting, but I think that like what Ohio State had to do is like I think they eventually kind of had to start sitting in zone coverage because they were just like if we try to man to man these guys, we're just going to continue to get cooked because we don't have anybody that can cover them. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have anybody that can go one on one and just win a matchup. Like we don't have anybody that can do it. And so I think he started zoning guys and bringing a little bit of extra pressure, maybe thinking like, oh, maybe we'll get to him and he'll make a mistake and we'll flip this game on its head. And just nothing really worked. Um, Michigan's offensive line deserves a lot of credit too. I mean, McCarthy had a lot of a lot of really quality protection. He did a really good job maneuvering the pocket and like stepping up into pockets and delivering throws, giving plays time to develop. Um, I just thought Michigan was better like on that Saturday. I just thought they were better and – uh, I told both you and Jeff after the game, I just think philosophically there's things that Ohio State as a program has to figure out. You know, this is back-to-back years where Michigan has just kind of lined up across from them and kind of just dominated them, like back-to-back years. And so there's things that you had, like, you know, one year on the road you can excuse and be like, we were on the road, we were in their place, whatever. We weren't going to beat them every year for the remainder of time. Right. But when they come to your place and you have a revenge game and there is as much on the line as what was on the line and they do it to you again. Then philosophically, you have to start looking in the mirror and say, like, all right, we're not doing something right. Like we're doing something wrong. And so I just think from a personnel standpoint, they haven't developed defensive personnel well or, or secondary personnel. They've got pass rushers, but um, secondary personnel is really bad. Um, and I just don't really know where you go from there and how you improve that right away. I mean, if there's this quality defensive back that gets in the transfer portal next week, like Ohio State should be on them. Like, just on them. Like, we're going to try to fix this thing right now. 
We need guys who can go cover guys man to man because we can't like Ohio State can't run into teams like and let's be honest like we should have maybe seen the flashes of it coming when they couldn't cover Maryland. Mm-hmm. Like we probably maybe should have seen it coming. And I think the part of it of why you didn't see it coming is because even going into that week, the reason why people and I it wasn't even just Ohio State fans. The reason why people weren't concerned is because they're like, you know what? Tua's little brother is a better quarterback than J.J. McCarthy. That that was the thought was Tua's brother has been a better quarterback than J.J. McCarthy. There was no evidence. Michigan showed you that they he can beat you. But can but I think you can make the argument for Saturday that like I don't even know that J.J. McCarthy beat him because I think you could have taken like like seventy Division one quarterbacks and put them in that position. And they're not missing those throws because those guys were so wide open most of the time. Like, there's not many guys that are missing those throws. So, like, while JJ, I mean, I'm not taking credit away from the kid. He played like he played fantastic. Like, but with that being said, like, you could take most average quarterbacks in in Power Five college football, and like, they're going to make those throws to those open receivers, and those are going to be touchdowns. Like, if J.J. McCarthy had beat them, like, making tight window throws and stuff like that, I think then I would be like, if I'm an Ohio State person, I'm like, all right, I can live with that. Well, that we came in and we said, if we're going to lose, that's how we're going to lose. And you know what? They beat us that exact way. I can live with that. I would do it again that way tomorrow because he wouldn't do it again. I think it's just the idea that, like, what changes next time Michigan and Ohio State play? Like, I mean, if Michigan and Ohio State line up again, let's just say, you know, USC loses, Ohio State slips in the playoff, Michigan wins, and Ohio State upsets Georgia, and they play in the national title game, which God help us all if that happens. Um, (laughs) If, you know, if we get to that point, like, what exactly is the change in game plan from Ohio State? Like, you say, all right, we're going to stop the run, which means we're going to load the box, mano-a-mano on the outside again, do it exactly how we started the first half last time. Are you magically going to cover their receivers and not get beat for 60 yard touchdowns then? Like, because Michigan started a little slow. Like, I think they were going to come in and try to run it. And when they figured out they weren't going to be able to, they started to adjust. And once they adjusted and kind of got some guys open against man coverage, like from that point forward, everybody was open for the remainder of the game. And like, I'm sure they could have thrown it late in the game if they wanted to, but I think Harbaugh's nature is just that like they got up two scores with 10 minutes left and they're like, all right, well, you like, we need to try to take some time off the clock. I don't think like, I mean, every play is technically designed to go for a touchdown, but um, you know, I don't think that he intended like, Hey, like we're about to bust one with Donovan Edwards and put this thing out of reach. Like, I think he was like, we're going to choose some clock, make it really hard for CJ Stroud and their offense to get back in the game. If we kick a field goal or score a touchdown, great, whatever. Um, But if not, our defense is playing well enough to win. So, for me, that's the thing with with Ohio State is like when you match up with Michigan right now. Like I don't know what the adjustment is right now for Ohio State, and and like and then you have to ask yourself the question: Well, if Michigan can do it, like like why wouldn't Georgia be able to like line up mm-hmm. and do it? Like Stetson Bennett's just as good. Stetson Bennett's got a national championship ring. He's made big time throws in those moments. Like we've seen it already, and you and like Georgia has just as good of receivers, like if not better. Like they've got all the same things. So that's the thing if I'm an Ohio State fan. It's like philosophically, like we've now seen two two consecutive years big boys line up across from Ohio State and just manhandle them. And that's the question for Ryan Day's program moving forward is like how does that change? How do we get back to the early day days 
in the late Urban Meyer days where like that was not a thing. And but I don't I, have the answer. I think that's the prop. And, and you said that, and we'll move on right after this. But you said the problem: the early day days were the the late Urban Meyer days when Ryan Day took over. It was with Urban Meyer guys in 2019. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but from a stretch, I mean, first off, we could go all the way back, but for a stretch from like 2010 to 2019, there were three schools that really had a real case for DBU, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State. Ohio State at one point had four future first round picks in their secondary on on the field at the same time. Like this, that, that happened. And yes, they played a, a, a godly Trevor Lawrence at that time. But I'm saying like they had four future first round picks on their secondary at that time. And as after the last guy left, they were never replaced. And the thing is, Ohio State is always our best defensive player was a linebacker. Ohio State has lacked true linebacker talent since A.J. Hawk and James Laurinaitis. And that was our best defensive player this year. We're used to having edge rushers in secondary. We'll figure out the crap in the middle because you won't go deep on us consistently. You, you Everybody get burnt. Everybody get got. But you're not going to kill us, and we're not going to give your quarterback a lot of time. And each guy, even on the edge rushers, each guy that was supposed to be next up since the Bolsas and Chase Young never really lived up to full expectations. Zach Harrison kind of popped for a little bit throughout the season finally. But guys that were supposed to replace these five-star guys that you were telling me, like, man, this is the guy to replace Chase Chase Young. You know, Denzel Burke had a hell of a freshman year last year. He looked like, okay, he's going to save the the, the narrative. Our our whole secondary looked like they were going to save the narrative. Martinez, Brown, Burke, um, looked like they were going to save the secondary, and this is what we got to go with for the next couple years. And that just hasn't happened. And so I think, like you said, philosophically, bro, you got to hit the defensive side of the ball hard. Brian Hartline is remaining in in Columbus, Ohio. You're not you're not lacking weapons next year. I you know that I know that what you have in your weaponry right now at wide receiver and what you're getting those four guys that you're getting next year, wide receivers will not be the issue. I think don't spend too much time addressing the quarterback if you don't make the playoffs. See how good Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are in this bowl game. That's what this is for, to see what you got at quarterback and see what you got for the future. But you kind of know on the defensive side of the ball, you know what you got in receivers and you know what you got coming in. You need to know if your quarterback's the answer or whether you're going to have to hit this transfer portal or sway a late, uh, you know, a guy before national or after national signing day who still hasn't signed to see if you can sway him that way. But I think that's what the bowl game is for. That's what it was for last year, right? Was like, see what we got. See what Marvin Harrison Jr. looks like. Abuka, Smith and Jigba. You know, see if C.J. Stroud's ready to make the jump. And all of those guys looked really promising and then, you know, didn't really have Smith and Jigba all year. But the Rose Bowl was exciting for anybody, even if you're not an Ohio State fan, it was exciting because you're like, damn, they got some talent over there. Defense didn't really play well, but but you still, you've seen the talent. You're like, man, that's a hell of a team, at least offensively next year. This is probably the best offensive football. And it was like that for most of the season. And I still believe on their best day. This would be the best offense in the country. The only problem is consistently you haven't gotten it. But we're going to move on from that. Michigan beat us. They kicked our ass again. They can have it. Coaching hires. We're going to go through a couple coaching hires before we touch up on um championship weekend um that's coming up. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on championship weekend, more so than scenarios. For the simple fact, most of these games don't matter. 
to be honest. Um, so coaching hires. Well, we're talking about the we'll talk about the hire, I guess. Um, and that is Hugh Freeze to Auburn. And I say it's the hire because it's the hire that made the most noise. Matt Rule slides. We'll, we'll talk about Matt Rule in a second. We'll talk about Luke Fickle. But they slide into Nebraska and Wisconsin respectfully, and you haven't heard much since. The only thing that's coming out of there is like, oh, they got an offensive coordinator or whatever. That's it. You have heard nothing. You saw they landed in their destination, and they are able to quietly operate. It is not like that for Hugh Freeze in Auburn. It is It is far from quiet. You would almost think Auburn was going to play this weekend with so much noise this week you've heard out of Auburn, all over the SEC, all over the country. Really, this is the biggest story in college football right now, especially because championship weekend is not as big because certain teams can lose and nobody gives a damn. They're still in the position to go to the playoffs, so it won't matter. Um, But Hugh Freeze to Auburn, you're there. Like, you're not at Auburn, but you're in the environment. You're you're connected to the SEC. What the hell, man? Why, why, is this such, why is this such a big deal that a program like Auburn gets a coach? What the hell, man? Why? Why? Why are we hearing so much? Like this dude don't gotta. He, he got a PR. He gotta stay off of social media. Um, he's gotta apologize for prior things. He's gotta shut down rumors from prior accusations. Like his return to the SEC has been very tough, and he hasn't even coached a spring game or grabbed a recruit in Auburn yet. Yeah. So I mean, like, well, I mean, where do you start? I mean, for he cratered one SEC program already. Uh, yours truly. Um, cratered one program and got them hammered by the NCAA. Uh, he has a pretty checkered past with his dealing, uh, with his dealing of students back at Briarcrest. Which, like, for people that didn't know, like, the coach that is portrayed in the blind side is Hugh Freeze. Like, that's who that is. Um, I just recently learned that. Yeah, and so that's that's who that is. Um, I think he had a little bit of a checkered past at Briarcrest, but most of the stuff was he was at Liberty. Uh, where his athletic director was Ian McCall. Uh, Ian McCall was the athletic director at Baylor when all of the Art Bryles um, and Baylor football program uh, scandal went on. And I believe that a student at Liberty named Chelsea Andrews, uh, she sued uh, Liberty University. I believe it had something to do with sexual assault. And... She was tweeting about it, and Hugh Freeze unsolicitedly, unsolicitedly slid into her DMs and started DMing this girl, which, like, I mean, like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and I think and it was something to the effect of Ian McCaw is the most Jesus-like leader that he's ever worked with, and this is without question. Like, I mean, he's like, this. No, this is not true. Like, this is bad. Like, this dude did bad things. Um, and so when he got hired at Auburn, she went public. She was tweeting the pic screenshots of the direct messages. She emailed, I believe, at multiple uh, administration members at Auburn. Was emailing the athletic department. Was emailing every department of the football program, like letting everybody know. But I mean, as you know, with these things, when you hire coaches, you know all these things going in. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why Auburn hired a PR firm. That's why Auburn made sure that they had every single detail uh, about everything that went on with all of that before they hired him. Um, so, and they decided that they were comfortable with it. And so they hired the PR firm to kind of help them with the transition so that he could just kind of get to work. And 
you know, it's starting to quiet down already as the new cycle in this country does. Um, and he's starting to hire staff there and they'll get on the road from a strictly football standpoint. He's a perfect fit there. Um, he's going to embrace Auburn's cult like culture. Um, he's going to go around and say war Eagle and throw the toilet paper over the trees and, um, he'll kiss every baby. He'll shake every hand. He'll play golf with the boosters. He'll eat lunch with the boosters. He'll do all that stuff that Auburn people really, really want you to do when you were the football coach at Auburn. So, and he's won in the SEC before. He's beaten Nick Saban twice. And I have a hard time believing that, um, because Auburn is, in a way is a lot like Mississippi State from a like from a geographical sense, and that they're like the second best program in their state. And so I think that, you know, a lot of that, a lot of, they want to beat Alabama and Hugh Freeze having, you know, a reputation of causing Nick Saban problems and giving him fits uh, was something that Auburn was attracted to. You know, he beat him back to back years in the third year. He had a 24 point lead that he blew at Ole Miss from, and he was from being three straight. So I think that that's what attracted them to Hugh Freeze. It makes a lot of sense. He's a really good recruiter. He's a really good in-game football coach. Um, I kind of compare him to a boxer. Like he gets into big games and he kind of feels his way in and you kind of wonder what he's doing. And then all of a sudden in the second half, he's figured stuff out. And all of a sudden he's just throwing haymakers late in the fight and finds a way to land the KO and win the game. So it's a great fit for Auburn. I think he'll do fine there. Um I don't think he's going to win national championships there. I think he's going to be a solid eight win, nine win with the occasional 10 win um, type season. Cause what he, he will give you the wins over Alabama, but the problem with Hugh is he will give you the, the win over Alabama and then turn around three weeks later and go lose to like Western Kentucky yeah, or something like that. You know, at Ole Miss, we beat Alabama um, under Hugh and then turned around and went and lost to Memphis in the same season with the same team like just un, like just unreal type stuff that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, I think he'll do fine there. I think he'll give Auburn a lot of the culture things that they want. Hell, his opening press conference, he's already doing the thing. <coughs> his acronym for the core values of the program spells family, like with the Auburn family and all that stuff. So he's already like, he's already just – schmoozing everybody there so um he'll win every press conference he always does so Hugh if you're listening and I know that there's a decent chance you might be because you search your name on Twitter um you know good luck I'm glad that my months of kind of campaigning for you on this small podcast ended up paying off he'll he'll do well there I'm happy for him he deserves another shot he's a good football coach yeah 100 percent so We'll move into the we'll, – we'll kind of combine the two coaching hires, um, and this is like talking about them for the bigger picture. Uh, Matt Rule goes to Nebraska. Luke Fickle goes to Wisconsin. You add what I would consider two quality college coaches into a conference um, that's about to expand in two years. The 12-team playoff is coming in two years or a year. What do we got? One more season? We got ne- the rest of this season and next season. 12-team playoff. We got this season and next season. Conference expansion. So before we talk about those hires, we'll add their names in here in a year, in in a little over a year, a year and a half. You're going to have a conference 
as of right now, as it stands, nobody else is taking a job anywhere else. You have Jim Harbaugh. You have Ryan Day. You have P.J. Fleck. You have James Franklin. You will be gaining Lincoln Riley. As of right now, you will be gaining Chip Kelly. You have Matt Rule. You have Luke Fickle. Who else am I missing? You have Mel Tucker from Michigan State. Uh, you have Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Shit, you got Greg Schiano technically. Like, I mean, yeah, he's not Arthur's, horrible. Yeah, he's not horrible. Uh, Mar- Maryland's coach hasn't done a bad job. I'm not sure his name, but he no, has done. Lox a- is an underrated coach. Like, Locks and then you got Fritz. Uh, Fritz at, at Iowa. Fritz, yeah. And so, when you look at all those names, that's a conference loaded of very couple maybe great borderline, very, very good head coaches down to like pretty good down to good. And maybe there's like one, you'll be like, throw them away. But other than that, like your worst coach is a good coach, a good college coach. And that'd probably be the worst coach in the big 10. And so you look and you're like, this is a conference that after a, da- a very down year, I mean, this was one of the worst years I've seen for the big 10 in a long time. Let's just, you could say like, they're usually inferior to sec, but that's it. The Pac-12 ain't outdoing them. The Big 12 ain't outdoing them. Like this, what you've seen from the Big 10 is not normal. And so I think just the conference gets revamped, bringing Matt Rule and Luke Fickle in immediately. We know Matt Rule turns programs around. He's done it multiple times, taking the worst of situations. And I'm not sure that, especially in the NIL um, life now, I don't think Nebraska is in the worst of situations. You know that fan base is – really one of the most underappreciated fan bases when you talk about a fan base that rides for their team. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure the boosters, like they've been itching to get a coach who could turn a program around and we could put some money into this program and win. And what that winning may be could be unrealistic. It'd be like if Matt Rule could turn Baylor around and he could turn Nebraska into a Big Ten champion. And I think that's a little unrealistic because I know we're also doing away with divisions. Um, when we when we merge with USC and UCLA, so I, from what I've heard, we're supposed to be doing away with divisions, which now means it's just the top two teams. Period. And I don't know if you know um, Matt Rule turns them into one a top two team, maybe once. Um, but I think that's tough. But even with the twelve team playoff, if you could get ten wins in a twelve, you know, in in a season, that might can get you one of those spots in the twelve team playoffs, especially if the Big Ten turns back into the premier uh, conference outside of the SEC. So. What do you think about these culture hires and the impact it has on the Big Ten, especially like projecting that they have one year to get some things right before Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly enter in in the coaching tree in the Big Ten just got that much better? Yeah, I think Luke Fickle is the hire of the year. I mean, Luke Fickle is going to be awesome. Like, he's going to be awesome there. Like, that's going to be – he's going to have all the resources in the world, uh, have a really solid stadium, really good facilities. Like that's going to, he's going to be the hire of the year. And I don't even know who else is getting hired yet. Like, uh, and who else is getting fired yet, but like, he's going to end up being the hire of the year. Um, and I love rule too. Like rules on my short list. If Lane had parted for Auburn, um, I do think Nebraska can be like an every year playoff team, like in the 12 team. I think they can be in it every year more or more years than not. Uh, I think for the first time in a long time, Nebraska's in lockstep from president or chancellor to athletic director to coach to, you know, all the way through the building. I think for the first time in a long time, they're finally in lockstep. Uh, and this is what Rule does is he rebuilds programs. So I think he'll get in there. He'll have resources. I think he'll be able to get in there and do a really good job there. I think if you're in Nebraska, what you fear is you hope you can keep them away from Penn State because that's always been a pretty well-known thing is that whenever – 
Penn State opens. That's Rule's dream job. So, um, you know, but both hires were really, really good, and that league's going to be really, really strong. There's a ton of pressure on schools, like, you know, when when Ferenc retires, like, uh, or Indiana, like Tom Allen. Like, there's pressure on those schools that are going to have to make hires in the next few years. You better get it right in that league with those coaches coming in and the coaches that are already there and already exist, like, like you better get the shit right or you're going to be in for like potential, like zero win conference seasons. I mean, like you'll get left, you'll get left quick because that's, like I said, bringing in Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly too. Like that's Lincoln Riley, Chip Kelly, Ryan day and Harbaugh. As of right now, those going to be the premier cream of the crop coaches at the top. And that's a strong four as far as your head coaches. And you know, they can recruit, you know, they never lack talent. None of those four coaches ever lack talent. And so you're going to be like in that you're going to want to be when you do make a hire, you're going to want the James Franklin <laughs> Fleck, Luke, And I think Luke Fickle might even find himself in that, you know, Lincoln Riley, Chip Kelly, Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh conversation, because Wisconsin is known to be a pretty good football team. Like their style of play isn't the greatest necessarily, but I even think look at Luke, what Luke Fickle did with Cincinnati, got him a quarterback, got him some receivers, got some studs on defense. At, at the skill position, brought in some skill position players that you're not used to seeing at Wisconsin. You're used to seeing the trenches, the running back, the running game, the linebackers, the trenches, and that's about it. They don't necessarily have the greatest skill corners or safeties or wide receivers. They don't focus on that because that's not their style of football. But I think Luke Fickle could even come in and change that and philosophically change how Wisconsin plays football. And I've been saying they've needed to do that for years for the simple fact, no matter how good Wisconsin is, typically they weren't built to beat Ohio state because yes, even though they were in the trenches, this Ohio state just out talent them every time. And, and even for the past, you know, seven, eight years, they've had the better coach standing on the opposite sideline, but they're just out talent them. Like no matter how good Wisconsin is in the trenches or whatever, they just don't have enough in, unless they really beat them down. They don't have enough to beat Ohio state in four quarters. So I do think Luke fickle is going to have to bring some flavor into Wisconsin and kind of get them out of their old school pound the ball win in the trenches kind of way because that's good for most teams but now that you're a winning coach and you've done some things elsewhere the expectations that you could do that and so he's gonna have to freshen everybody's mind and get kind of some of those uh old white man on the porch complaining you know kind of fans to buy into what he's doing because it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a new style of Wisconsin football yeah I mean I think so I think he'll modernize I think he'll modernize probably their old style. Like, I still think that they'll do a lot of the same stuff. I just think that it'll be modernized to the 21st century and be more adaptable to young talent nowadays and be more attractive to play in. So, it's NIL, you have to. Yeah. And it's a, it's a home run hire for me. Um, I just like, I think he's going to win so big at Wisconsin. I like, I, I really do. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are really the only three for now that have just been. Just massive, massive. Yeah, I think we're waiting to see if Dion ends up leaving Jackson State, and if he does, where everything he I've heard, uh, everything I've heard down here on here is that um, is that people expect expect him to end up around uh, at Colorado. Yeah, and I've been I've been seeing a lot of that. I know you're closer to the, a lot closer to the situation than I am, but um, seeing it kind of seems like it's down to three teams: USF, Cincinnati, and Colorado, and it almost seems think, like Colorado will give up whatever. I D. think, and I think it's probably. Um, for me, if I were Dion, I would go to South Florida. Like that's what makes the most sense to me. Because where he he's a legend down there, it's easy to walk into these seventeen. And it's easy to recruit down there. Yeah, like, and it's easy to walk in 
to the 17, 18 year old kids whose parents were witnessed you be a legend. And it's like, oh man, prime time is in my kitchen wanting my son. Like it's easy for that. Well, but it's also like, it's a phenomenal high school football state. And like, you're not, you don't really currently have another power in the state. That's like, I'm not saying they're going to start getting the, like the five-star Florida kids. Like, that's not what I'm saying, but like you can get enough where you can end up being a really good G5 program. Um, They've done it there before. They've won a lot of games there before. I think that's one of those things where, he should go there and really build up a G5 program and make it a, you know, kind of a conference contender, or maybe, maybe sneak in the back end of a 12 team playoff uh, one year. Um, I just think, you know, when you're in Colorado, like there's nothing to recruit from out there. Like if you're a Colorado, in Colorado, like there's really never any elite high school talent there. So that means you have to kind of go to the West coast and go to California and go to Washington and go to all these other places to steal talent. And they're like, you're competing against all of your PAC 12 brethren who are better programs than you. Like you're competing against USC. You're competing against UCLA. You're competing against Oregon, Oregon. You're competing against Washington. You're competing against Arizona state when they're good. Hell in California, you're competing against Ohio state, Michigan, Georgia, and Alabama because they're coming over there to try to get like, so that's the thing with Colorado is like, I don't know how you get talent to Colorado and it would improve because of who, of who Deion Sanders is, but you know, they're not going to magically start signing a bunch of four stars and five stars. And that's what it takes to win really. So I, you know, for me, I would go to South Florida, the Cincinnati thing, you know, you're moving into a power five conference and they have no, they really have no resources for recruiting. So like that's one that's going to be tough as well. So if it's me, I'm going to South Florida. I think it's the probably the best program or the chance with the best, the program with the best chance to build and become something. And yeah. I know that that's not going to be the most attractive right away, but if he's really in this thing for the long haul and making it to the top of the co- coaching industry, then I think that's his best bet. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, I think just go back to your roots, go to Florida. You know, you know, you got the power there. Let's just be honest. Like he's Deion Sanders. He's prime time. He's a legend in the state of Florida. Um, and it'll be a lot easier, you know, to step in those, you know, parents who are in their late thirties, early forties, kitchen one, you're 17, 18 year old kid. Like, man, I grew up on you and you're a legend sitting in my living room. It, oh, son, you got to go there. Um, and, and USF has been good enough at times to know that they can win some games. Like there has been times where USF has been good enough where you're like, okay, they can win some games. Um, even if you go back as far as what, 2007, there was a point where they were the number two team in the country. Um, so USF does have enough, uh, and and prime has enough stature in the state of Florida to, to win some games. So before we go out, uh, we're running short on time. So championship weekend, most important game. Tell me what it is and what could make, what could come out of that, that game, the result of that game. Uh, it's TCU, Kansas state, I think, um, you know, well, I mean, there's really two that matter and then not, and. I think well, I think there's two that matter. You can hit on one and not hit on the other. Yeah, because we both know what they are. I mean, like I mean, both the the teams that are favored have to win to get in. I think. Um, I don't agree with it. I but we all know that's where it's headed. Um, okay, so now that you say that, I'm an Ohio State fan, right? So of, I don't think it's as easy as TCU loses, they're out now. I know where you're going to go with it. And I know that if they lose, that's what it's about. 
But what's tough is that if TCU loses, the the first argument is going to be what's your best win on the season? TCU's best win will be Kansas State. Ohio State's best win will be Penn State. Today, Ohio State has the better win by one ranking. They beat number eight. Kansas State is number nine. Saturday evening, TCU has the better win or come Sunday when the rankings come out, but they'll be having that argument prior because Kansas State will jump Penn State if they beat TCU. So then we'll look at their second best win. TCU's second best win is Texas. Texas is one rank ahead, number 20, of Ohio State's second best win, which is Notre Dame. So if you look at it like that, Ohio State loses that argument essentially by one on both because I think Kansas State will just jump Penn State. Maybe they jump Tennessee as well, so Kansas State moves to seven. But then Texas will probably stay around 20, and I don't see the 20 through 25 changing too, too much unless you're doing it to arrange bowl games. That's about it. But other than that, I don't see that shaking up too much. So, But I know, I know that Ohio State, the helmet, the, the, the Ohio State brand outbrands TCU. And I do have a feeling that the committee is sitting there hoping that maybe Kansas State could win this game by 14 points. So we could justify putting Ohio State in there because our preference money wise and just money selling the game. We'd much rather, even if Ohio State played match up against Georgia and got pounded. Let's just say they got pounded by Georgia. It still would have more views in their mind that it would probably gain more traction going into that game than TCU playing Michigan or whatever it may be. And then on the flip side, here's what I think. I'm going to lay it out. I'll let you hit on it, and then we'll go. Here's what I think the committee hopes. If if I was the committee and I wanted to maximize my matchups and my money, here's what I hope happens. I hope Georgia struggles with LSU but wins. They could lose. Georgia could lose for all I care. But I want them to struggle. I want Michigan to smack Purdue. I want them to run Purdue off the field so I can justify putting Michigan one. I want Kansas State to beat the crap out of TCU. If I'm the committee and I'm thinking about my money, I want Kansas State to smack TCU and I want USC to beat Utah. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I can justify putting Michigan at one because they have the best win big on the road. They would have the best win of all the teams. Georgia struggled. What, that could be enough to move Michigan one. I put Georgia two. I put USC three. I put Ohio State four. Now I can please everybody and build up a Georgia-USC game. It's a lot of buildup. USC being relevant again. It gets the West Coast viewers into the playoffs. It gets the Pac-12 fans into the playoffs, which is something that's been missing for a few years. And I get the Ohio State-Michigan rematch without having to see it in the national championship. So if I'm maximizing, I get to build up that rematch, the, the rematch of the game, however you want to sell it in commercials and all that and put however you want to make the buildup. But I don't have to see that matchup in the national championship, which means I don't deem it a Big Ten championship. What do you think about that scenario before we go? I don't think they'll rematch. Uh, I don't think they'll rematch Michigan, Ohio State any earlier than the national championship. They do you think they'll make them earn it regardless? You think they'll? Yeah, make them earn I think it? they're gonna. I think they'll do. Like I think if it gets to that point, they'll be like, "Well, we're getting a rematch because they won their way to get to this point." I don't think they're gonna set it up. 
Um, they've shown that in the past, like where they've had some stuff with like Alabama and Georgia and they could have rematched it right away in the playoff right after the SEC championship game. But they were like, no, like we'll tinker with the rankings because it doesn't really matter. And we'll make Georgia play Oklahoma and Alabama play whoever, Clemson or whatever. And- I think it's different because a SEC national championship makes TV. Georgia, Alabama playing in the national dude, championship. Dude, no, Ohio State, Michigan again goes nuts on TV. It already went nuts the first time. Like, yeah, it was seventeen high, million. It was like it was higher than a lot of a it lot. Was the highest rated college football game of the year, if I remember uh, reading correctly. So that in the national championship, people are signed up for that again, like no doubt. But for me, like, listen, if TCU gets out of the game healthy. I, I have a hard time justifying Ohio State being in ahead of them. And I, would, I, understand. I would understand why they would why Ohio State would get in, but if if TCU won that argument, I would also understand why. Like they made it to championship weekend, they lost to a team they already beat, which means they split with Kansas State. So it would take TCU to me to fairly say that Ohio State should be in. It would take TCU to get pounded. Well, and like then you're like what? So we're punishing TCU for having to play an extra game. Because that's really what it boils down to. Like they went twelve and zero in the regular season, and they have to like they have to play their conference championship game just because they do, and because all of a sudden they get like they lose to a top ten team in their conference championship game at a neutral site, and all of a sudden they're no longer playoff worthy. Like it's an it, argument. Like you're right, but but we know that's not how it goes. Like no, it, and we've already seen it. We've already seen it. This happened, I believe, in fourteen, where Ohio, Ohio State, State got in. Yeah, Ohio State got in over TCU, yep. and Ohio State was on their third string quarterback. Like, but Ohio State did win fifty nine to zero. I, with dude, third I do not care that TCU team was the best team in the country, and I'll die on it. But they lost to Baylor. Yes, they did. They had the one loss, but like we've seen it in the past. Just because you lose a game doesn't mean you're not the best team. In the no, country. I'm just saying that's what like screwed them up was the loss to Baylor. Because remember, it was TCU Baylor. TCU, Baylor, and Ohio State because was either- Baylor was also a one-loss team under with Bryce Petty, but they were already too far down. And then they beat TCU, which offend, which essentially just spoiled it. And then they sent that pissed off, angry TCU team and let them absolutely railroad uh, that 2014 Ole Miss team in uh, in Atlanta. Yeah, like, and it was horrible. And like, and to this day, like, I'll like, I'll go down. Like, I know Ohio State won the national title. If that TCU team and that Ohio State team had played, I would have taken TCU probably every single time. And it definitely um, wouldn't have went the way that Ohio State Oregon came. Uh uh-uh, no. And that's and that's well, that's the worst part is we knew Florida State and Oregon were not were not national championship quality teams. Florida State did that thing all year. Honestly, you know what? Florida State was really similar to um to this year's TCU team in the sense that they kept finding ways to win. Um and they just kind of like figured it out for a while. And they got in, and then all of a sudden the dam broke. Like, it was like, nah, like, we're playing an elite opponent with another elite quarterback, and we can't find a way to win. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's TCU. Um, You know, I hope that they solve this problem for us and just win. Win the game and then it's – Yeah, right? Like, I'm hoping they just win the game and take care of it. But I already kind of have the feeling where I'm, like, going to the place in my head where, like, Saturday night I'm going to go to bed and just be like – Damn it. (laughs) One, the best part is I'll probably be able to like hit some phone lines. I'm hoping at least that I'm going to be able to hit some phone lines Sunday morning 
and get some sort of inclination to maybe what's going to happen before we see it on TV. So that yeah, way I'm so we'll have that TV conversation on selections. So. Yeah. And like, I'm hoping that we like, I'm can get some information early. So that way I don't like throw a, so I like, I don't like throw something at the television <laughs> or something. Yeah. I'll, I'll be legitimately angry if they don't get in. Um, and the USC thing's a little different. I think, I think it's just because of the quality of wins CCU has versus the quality of wins that UCLA has. Now, granted, if you USC wins again this weekend, like, well, but like that's the thing is they have to win this weekend. Um, you know, they really only have two just super strong wins, but you know they also have the Heisman Trophy winner going for them. That's the thing that they have going for them. And I'll tell you what, man, like, dude deserves it. Dude has been yeah. awesome. Like every time I watch him, I'm just like, I just like my breath's taken away. Like he's such a phenomenal football player. <laughs> he's yeah. so good. He is so good. Um, the stuff he was doing against Notre Dame and like, and I tell people this all the time is I've got a buddy that's a manager at Notre Dame and I was texting him after the game and he was just like everything we did in practice, man, like everything we went over and kind of like got ready for, like it all worked. And Caleb was just like special. Like that's like, there was just nothing we could do to contain that. Yeah. Like, there was nothing like we, like the stuff he did, we couldn't prepare for yeah. And I was like that's just what the special ones do. Like that's how they play. Like that's how it goes. That's what. Yeah, you can game plan for them all all week long. But when you're special, it's like when you can make things out of nothing. When you can make something out of nothing consistently, that's what makes you special. And that's the difference between preparing for him because we prepare to make sure that there is nothing available for him, and he has to make something out of nothing. And a guy like him is um essentially able to do that. They so want a different type of game too, man. Like they want a different type of game last week where it was more low scoring and they struggled to score some and their defense really, really played well. Um I know that like Notre Dame's quarterback for a while was like like literally had a perfect passer rating. Like was no incompletions, no turnovers, no nothing. Um but like that was the game plan was to make him throw and they made it they made the pre-snap looks tough enough to where Notre Dame continued to run into them and fa- and couldn't really adjust. And I just like I really just thought I thought USC was awesome last weekend. Um, I'm hoping that I know that it's not sexy, but I'm hoping that the four stays the four um, or the current four stays the four. I really think Michigan TCU, especially with Coram out, would have the potential to be awesome because I still think Michigan would be able to get up and down some against TCU, and I think TCU offensively has enough talent to get up and down on Michigan. Um, I think they'd be able to replicate a lot of the stuff that Ohio state did early. Um, and then I think Georgia USC, like, I mean, Caleb Williams against that defense, like in those brands playing each other, like, you know, East coast, West coast, SEC yep. pack 12, like, you know, sign everybody up for that. Sign all the people up for that uh, with the brands, like really the only massive or non massive brand in that playoff would be TCU and you know, but I'm just tired of treating them like a G five school. Like, I mean, cause really that's what we do with them. Like we treat them like a G five school, despite the fact that they've been winning in a power five conference now for almost a decade at a really, really high level under multiple different coaches. It's clearly a job where you can have success and win a lot of games. And we still treat them like they're in the mountain West. Like it's 15 years ago. And I don't yeah. get it. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense, but, you know, that wraps up this week's episode of Field Stormers. Um, we're going to get together and let you know if we do a Selection Sunday episode um, post 
selection Sunday, kind of talk about some of the bowl matchups, uh, really not talk about the bowl matchups because they're all going to be shit because if they have NFL players playing, it's not going to matter. Um, we'll still see some exciting games like we did last year. Certain games like Tennessee and Purdue was a shootout. Amazing. Ohio State, Utah, amazing. But um, it's really all about your personnel that you have left going into next season. As if, a USC, if USC loses, I hope they give us a USC-Tennessee bowl game. Just light the scoreboard on fire. Yeah, because that's what it would do. Even with Joe Milton, I still think that Tennessee yeah. offense would be potent and explosive. The only problem is, does a Jalen Hyatt play you know, in a meaningless bowl game, essentially. Like, you know, you do have some of those I players. Know. I Does don't Jordan know. Addison play, like, that's where you're at at this point with bowl season. So that's why I can't wait for the 12-team playoffs. So yeah. on that note, we will highlight at y'all maybe Selection Sunday, if not um early next week. I am Mo Murphy. That's Walker Bailey. Make sure you go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs and entertainment. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And we will catch you next week.